when I'm talking about, I'm talking to Putin. He, in fact, cannot continue with impunity to talk about the use of a tactical nuclear weapon as if that's a rational thing to do. The mistakes get made and the miscalculation could occur. No one can be sure what would happen and it could end in Armageddon. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Backstory. I'm Dana Lewis. This week, Russian leader Vladimir Putin ordered revenge attacks for the Ukrainian bombing of his Crimean bridge. It was a series of brutal and bloody missile strikes on civilian areas, including Kiev. Former U.S. National Security Advisor John Bolton, who has met Putin and negotiated arms deals with the Russians, says it's time for regime change in Russia. And he says the U.S. should not be shy in pushing for a power change inside the Kremlin. And Belarus, Russia's ally in this war against Ukraine, is dropping hints it may wade deeper into the war. Dictator Alexander Lukashenko does Putin's bidding, but at an increased risk of a direct attack from Ukraine. We hear from former Belarus foreign minister and opposition figure Andrei Sanikov. All right, Ambassador John Bolton has worn many hats, but he was the ambassador to the United Nations and he was also the national security advisor for President Trump. Always a pleasure and an honor to talk to you, sir. Great to be with you. You have heard President Putin um, rail against the West. And you and I have followed President Putin for in excess of 20 years. I mean, we, you know, this is not a recent hobby uh, or, or mission or whatever you want to call it. So, you know, calling our values satanic, threatening the West with nuclear weapons. I mean, you've met him many times, I think, if, if I can say many, or, you know, quite a few discussing the when the U.S. was going to back out of the INF um, and, and arms negotiations. Is this the guy that you know? Well, he never referred to me or the U.S. government as satanic in our conversations. And uh, my, my conclusion, though, is this is primarily for domestic Russian political benefit. Uh, I think at this point, he obviously knows things in Ukraine have gone very badly. Uh, the Russian military's performance is embarrassing and, and uh, really threatening uh, at some level to Putin's own grasp uh, of the Russian government. Uh, nonetheless, there are a lot of people in Russia who believe, as Putin does, that the breakup of the Soviet Union was illegitimate, that Ukraine, other former republics are illegitimate or failed states. And so he's appealing uh, to that that uh, base of support that he has, blaming the troubles Russia faces in Ukraine on the U.S., on the West, on our degenerate morality and, and the rest of it. So I think that's the audience uh, that, that he's addressing. And I also think it shows how deep his political problems are. President Biden has called him in a, in a most recent interview a rational actor. But I mean, he's also argued for regime change at one point, and then he kind of backpedaled the White House, backpedaled away from that. You've come out very boldly in your recent columns saying, indeed, America shouldn't be embarrassed about this discussion about regime change. It is something strategically that the U.S. should be pursuing right now. No, that's right. It, it's very hard for me to imagine dealing with Putin's Russia uh, as a government after this war is over, however it turns out, whenever that turns out to be. 
And I think that's the growing conclusion inside Russia as well. I'm not saying Putin is in danger of falling today, and I'm not saying it may not be a pretty messy process if at some point the military or intelligence services decide to take the first step. But this is not a stable government long term. Uh, You know, after the Cuban Missile Crisis, they had a Politburo that could say to Nikita Khrushchev, it's time for you to retire. They don't have a Politburo today. So it's a very unstable circumstance, and it's and it's really, uh, I think, deteriorating uh, steadily uh, unless there's some change on the battlefield in Ukraine. And I don't see what that would come from. Uh, I think Putin's situation continues to get worse. How do you read the rhetoric, Ambassador Bolton, just not from President Putin, but some of the people around him? I mean, former President Medvedev, you know, the, the Putin's mini-me who has, who has sat in for him at different times. I mean, he rails against West and talks about attacking the West and completely annihilating Ukraine. And Patrushev, the former head of the FSB that you've met with personally a number of times in your in, in acting as the national security advisor. I mean, th- these are some pretty radical views. Have they changed or do they spit this stuff out in your assessment just to, to please their boss? I mean, what is this? No, I think they really believe it. I, as you say, Patrushev was my counterpart uh, during my time as national security advisor. And I heard the Ukraine lecture on several occasions. I've heard it from Sergei, Sergei Shoigu, the defense minister. I've heard it from Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister. What's uh, the lecture? Dad- well, it's that uh, that Ukraine was illegitimately ripped out of Mother Russia, in effect, that it's a failed state, it's not, not a real government, it's corrupt, on and on and on. And, and the implication clearly is, given a choice, the people would vote to come back uh, into the motherland. I, I think there's a zero chance of that happening today, but that was their perception before, before the invasion for many years. I, that's why I think it's a mistake for some in the West who call this Putin's war, uh, it's 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 really something that's more broadly felt within Russia, which which is why it's a problem for us. So you've seen some of this coming. Then you you not maybe an invasion in February. I mean, maybe you did, but you you've seen this anger towards Ukraine and this belief that uh, Ukraine should be serving Russia and be in Russia's sphere and under its influence and and. Uh, you know, they, they've used other terms to describe and belittle Ukraine. Yes, exactly. And I think they have the same feeling with respect to Belarus, Moldova, the Caucasus republics, the Central Asian republics. Putin refers to these places as Russian. Now, he means it in the sense of the Russian empire. He's not talking about recreating the Soviet Union, except maybe in a geographical sense. Uh, and I think this was uh, w- was evident years ago in 2005 when he made the famous statement about the breakup of the Soviet Union being the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century. I don't think we planned enough effectively for it. And the Trump administration trying to do that, given his views of Putin, were, was almost impossible. But we've we've uh, the West as a whole has collectively failed here. Certainly, we failed to deter the invasion, which is our biggest mistake in in recent years. If we fail to deter the invasion, um, are we failing to deter a possible deployment of a tactical nuclear weapon by Russia as well? Have we met this in in the way that you think we should in deterring the Russians? I mean, Biden has said things like, you know, they they better not do it. But, you know, have we, do you think, and and apparently we've back-channeled and spelled out to them that there would be repercussions, but do you think the U.S. has been strong enough, and and it's the U.S. that counts in this, 
that is, has dissuaded Russia from deploying a battlefield tactical nuclear weapon? I don't think we have. I don't think we're close to that yet. I think uh, the use of the nuclear weapon would be uh, if Russian forces were in wholesale retreat. Now, we're not at that point where we may be close to it, but we're not at that point yet. But nonetheless, you can't wait until the last minute to put a policy of deterrence into place. And I think uh, imprecations about bad things that would happen in general terms uh, have failed to deter Putin repeatedly throughout the conflict. My, my own personal view is when we when we talk about holding Russia responsible, we ought to say if we're going to levy responsibility, uh, if a nuclear weapon is employed, we should levy it against the people who made the decision, meaning Vladimir Putin. And I think we've got to make it clear to him and to everybody around him that he would be signing a suicide note uh, if he if he authorized the use of a tactical nuclear weapon. What what does that mean? I mean, how do you respond to the use of a tactical nuclear weapon in Ukraine? Are you saying that the U.S. should then respond with a nuclear weapon? No, not with a nuclear weapon. I mean, I think there are a variety of things we could do, including uh, uh, providing more assistance to Ukraine or even contemplating an attack on Russian forces in Ukraine or the Black Sea Fleet. But I think to make this clear to Putin that he is going to pay the consequences personally, uh, to remind him that he is at the apex of the National Command Authority in Russia, and therefore in a time of war, which he launched uh, in an unprovoked attack against Ukraine, he is a legitimate military target. Ambassador Bolton, do you think that the Russians are looking for an off-ramp? There's been you know, suggestions by, for instance, Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister recently, that maybe there could be a meeting Biden said maybe there could be a meeting if it involved discussions about releasing an American detainee right now. Um, do, do you think that they're looking for a way out of this? Well, I don't I don't see enough evidence of it to, to think it's serious. Now, there are continuing conversations with Turkish President Erdogan. Uh, that always worries me, given uh, Erdogan's behavior. That's a possibility. On the other hand, we have President Zelensky of Ukraine saying, I'm not meeting with Putin or his government. And indeed, part of the problem here is to have an off-ramp uh, or any kind of ceasefire or anything beyond that, it takes two to tango. Uh, and Zelensky, now with his forces continuing to advance, taking back territory that Ukraine has lost since February the 24th, I think he would be very, it would be very difficult for Zelensky to say at this point, I'm going to halt successful uh, offensive operations to talk to Vladimir Putin. He would have his own political difficulties in Ukraine. So, so I'm afraid the conclusion, the kind of default position is the war drags on. And this may be what Putin's strategy is, that the Europeans facing a cold winter, facing shortages of, uh, of gas, both for cons retail consumers, but also for European industry. Uh, that the strain at that point, given other economic difficulties the West as a whole has, that may be enough to break resolve in Europe. When you look at what happened over the weekend with the Ukrainian attack on the, they haven't claimed responsibility, but I think we're, I think we can safely say the Ukrainians attacked the Crimean bridge. The Ukrainians are saying that very soon Crimea itself, I mean, that may pale in comparison to what's to come, that Crimea itself will soon be in their crosshairs and they may be, you know, hitting some of the uh, air bases in Crimea and home of the Black Sea Fleet in Crimea. Crimea will come under attack. It is a very emotional trigger for 
for President Putin, it seems like we're about to go through an even more dangerous escalation. Well, I think uh, Putin has, in a way, done this to himself, uh, having annexed Crimea in 2014, but now having annexed the other four provinces along the the coast between Crimea and and the Russian border up through the Donbass, because now he can say that the threat is to Russian territory from his perspective, but he's made it much bigger than the Crimea. And uh, I think uh, Ukrainians very well know how sensitive Crimea is for Russia. They don't really think it ever should have been a part of Ukraine as it was a gratuitous transfer by Nikita Khrushchev in the 1950s. It's obviously the major naval base and facilities for the Black Sea Fleet and others. Uh, uh, so if if the Ukrainians did increase pressure on Crimea, uh, that, that would obviously call for a Russian response. I think Putin's problem is the Russian military has not demonstrated it's got the capability now to do something different than what it's done over the past seven months. I must say, every time I think the Russians have reached the bottom of their performance, they do something worse. And and I don't, so I can't really say with any confidence that Putin has a, has a second punch ready. I, I think that's probably the best assessment that I, I've heard. And uh, he's, he's lacking a second punch. Ambassador John Bolton, always a pr- privilege to talk to you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Andrei Senikov is the former foreign minister for Belarus. He was a candidate in the 2010 presidential election in Belarus. Um, And then he was arrested by the KGB for peacefully protesting at a demonstration after the elections. He was beaten by police. He was tortured. uh, And he was held incommunicado for two months. Andrei, I'm always in awe uh, of the opportunity to speak to you. It's good to see you again. Good to see you. Thank you. This week, Alexander Lukashenko um, has been pretty cagey, announcing suddenly military inspections, uh, a joint military task force with Russia on the country's western border. Um, And he said that this was in a direct response to a clear threat to Belarus from Kiev and its backers in the west. What is going on with Lukashenko? What is he signaling here? He's scared, really scared. And if you uh, saw him uh, talking to the Security Council, you know, when he's scared, he's gathering around uniforms. And when he gathers around uniforms and with big stars, with, uh, so pe- with people who are loyal to him, but uh, maybe not very competent enough uh, in military uh, skills and uh, others, so if if uh, he uh, has such a meeting, then he's scared, really scared. And if you see his body language, it, it, it does tell. So he's scared because despite uh, the uh, this horrible offensive of Russians, missile attacks on civilian objects, horrible. Uh, uh, it, it it is really horrible, and uh, actually that that is also not 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 a coincidence that uh, Lukashenko was holding this meeting immediately after the, the attack. Uh, despite this, he, he, I think, has the information about the real successes of Russian army in, in Ukraine. And uh, he hears Ukrainians, and, and not only Ukrainians, and the West warning him that if he puts uh, the boots of the Belarusian soldiers on Ukrainian soil, there will be immediate reaction. 
So I think that, uh, and uh, this is nothing new, by the way, this uh, joint group, military group, it is in the military doctrine. But these people, I mean, uh, Lukashenko and Putin, they're really criminals and don't, don't care even about their own uh, laws and regulations. Because to deploy this uh, joint group, military group, they need a decision of the Supreme Council of the so-called Union State. There was nothing. And so the, the, Putin does not even consult Lukashenko when he takes decision. I'm sure that Putin didn't even warn him about this massive missile attack on Ukraine. I'm confused about the actual ground situation um, in Ukraine when it comes to Belarus. Because initially we saw Russian forces in February crossing into Ukraine from Belarus. And then they were even saying over the last couple of days when Putin launched this barbaric response to the attack on the Crimean bridge targeting civilian areas that a lot of the missiles uh, and some of these drones, the, the Iranian uh, unmanned drones, were coming out of Belarus. Has Belarus been a launch pad continually for Russian forces, for the Air Force, for drones? Um, and in fact, are they escalating their participation now? I think that nobody asks Lukashenko. It's actually, it's really a launchpad. It's been a launchpad for a long time. And uh, even more, if Lukashenko was gone in 2020, there would be no war. But unfortunately, the world didn't recognize the dangers of uh, <clears throat> continued uh, preservance of this horrible regime in Belarus for the, uh, for, for, for the future threats to international security. So yes, it does continue to be a launchpad. Uh, I think that uh, uh, flight missions, uh, the, the Belarusian authorities, including Lukashenko, are not informed about flight missions of Russian uh, uh, airplanes. And, but uh, they are, wh whether they're informed or not, they are still coming out of Belarus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But Lukashenko is the completely, he, he is a co-aggressor. It was uh, defined several times by, by United Nations, by European Union, by world leaders. And, uh, but what, what I'm saying that he is still, uh, can, he continues to deny that he is the participant of the war. He says, yes, well, taking, I mean, participant of this attack. He, he, lately he admitted that he is part of the war the part on, on the side of Russia, but he continues to claim that, no, 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 but we are not fighting Ukrainians, it's Russians. So th this is the kind of position, I don't know, very, very, even not acrobatic, it is something the <laughs> impossible position to continue to stay in. Is he preparing an escalation? Is, is he preparing to wade deeper into the conflict in Ukraine? I, I'm sure Putin is preparing an escalation. As I said, Putin not, uh, don't ask Lukashenko. So what will happen next? I, I'm afraid that uh, there will be those mobilized uh, so-called soldiers, which are not soldiers, but uh, uh, criminals and uh, all, all kinds of people, but not uh, regular army, will be entering Belarus. And it will be the entrance of the Russian world in, en masse in Belarus. And after that, they will probably preparing new offensive on Kiev and, and in the south, because from the territory of Belarus, you could attack Ukraine from two directions. And then uh, the next stage will be Lukashenko will be ordered to join this operation, put in the boots of, of soldiers on uh, Ukrainian territory.
Okay, so I want to be clear. You believe that very soon Belarus could actually order its army to participate uh, directly in the war against Ukraine. He could be he could be asked by President Putin, and that's an army of about sixty thousand. Uh, to be clear, Dana, uh, it is Putin's scenario. Uh, I think that uh, yes, entering the Belarusian territory with those mobilized people. Uh, I, to, to, to deploy them on, on the territory of Belarus. And then the next stage will be ordering Lukashenko. It's not Lukashenko who order, it's Putin who order Lukashenko to, to use Russian uh, Belarusian army against Ukraine on, 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 on the ground. And Ukraine could be attacked uh, from, from two directions. From uh, the, There could be an offensive on Kiev, as we saw uh, in February, and there could be the, the southern uh, uh, direction of for example, Lviv. So th that is this scenario of Putin. And uh, I think that uh, that is uh, what uh, developed under this so-called mobilization, that it is Stalin's uh, Stalin Zhukov approach, that let's uh, use this cannon fodder and uh, use these bar barbaric missile strikes, and then, uh, uh, then we will demand this, the Ukraine to surrender. Which is, which is again, you know, the, the, the next uh, stage of uh, Russian madness and Kremlin madness and Putin madness because it will not happen, definitely. Ukrainians have proven to be much more skillful soldiers than Russians. They have a better strategy they, they, and they're defending their own land. If Lukashenko is prepared to enter the war directly, I mean, more directly than he has in terms of boots on the ground versus aircraft using Belarus as a launch pad, Russian aircraft. Why has he waited this long, do you think? Because he is scared, as I told you. He is scared because the army was not involved uh, in politics in Belarus. The leadership, yes, the, the com commanders of the administration, I mean, like ministers of defense and all the kind of uh, uh, military top brass, which is very closely connected with Russia. And, and so he is afraid first that uh, Russia, uh, they will be obeying Russia's orders, not his orders, I mean the top, uh, top brass of the army. Second, that the army will uh, uh, aim the arms against him because the army today consists of those people who were taking part in protest in 2020. And that is the majority of the population. It's not some people, it's majority of the population. And those young, young people are today in the army, and they continue to hate Lukashenko as much as they hated him when they were civilians. So that, that, that he is scared for. And he also knows, and he is doing this uh, deliberately, I think, although he knows that it is very dangerous for him, that he's, in this way, he is making... Belarusian territory and his his own residences, houses, uh, locations, a legitimate target for Ukrainian armed forces. He is, uh, in other words, he is uh, trying to preserve power. He is making Belarus a, a very uh, obvious target for, for the strikes from the territory of Ukraine. Would Ukraine go after Belarus directly, do you think? And would they be justified in doing so if Lukashenko moves his army you know, directly onto the ground in Ukraine? I think that they could go uh, directly even now when, when there will be intensified attacks, missile attacks from the territory of Belarus. Uh, 
they have all the rights to pre 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 prevent it. So why haven't they? Well, they, I think that they uh, try to demonstrate more wisdom than Russians. They don't want escalation uh, without, uh, let's say, uh, having strength enough to continue this kind of war with, with Russia and Belarus. They don't want to have more victims and to attack the territory of Belarus because they know that Belarusian people are very supportive of Ukrainian fight against Russia, very supportive. Majority. The, uh, the situation in Belarus after 2020 is even worse for Lukashenko because he is hated and uh, that is why we, we have uh, arrests uh, on a daily basis. It is a horrible situation. People are in prison, more than 4,000 prisoners. But it shows how scared he is. He cannot stop. He thinks that even, even, even you know, the students, young students or pensioners, like 70 plus years, or, or people, disabled people are, uh, are arrested because he, he sees that they are threatening him. So that is why he, uh, the Ukrainians uh, probably are prepared to do this. But they are very much reserved and very much uh, uh, logical in what they are doing on this front. And besides, there, there, there's still no, no movement of uh, Russian forces, of uh, significant movement on the Belarusian territory. When it starts, then we will, we will see what will happen. And you think that Lukashenko may find himself very vulnerable at that point? If, he is if... vulnerable. He is already vulnerable because I told you that he is afraid first that he is afraid of, of Putin, who could uh, give orders. If Lukashenko disobeys, he can give orders uh, very easily to remove him. And he is afraid of his own people and of Ukrainians. So he is extremely vulnerable. Andrei Senekov, always good to talk to you, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. Always good to talk to you all as well. Thank you. Take care. And that's our backstory for this week. Thanks for listening and sharing the podcast. As we speak, Ukrainian forces are pushing hard to take back territories Russia seized since the invasion in February. And Ukrainian leaders are receiving more weapons to intercept Russian missile attacks. But it's a race against time in Ukraine as Russia destroys infrastructure from aerial attacks, but Russia's army is close to collapse on the ground. I'm Dana Lewis. You can also sign up for our newsletter, danalewis.substack.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.